This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now it's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. All right, thank you, CB. Good afternoon. It's on 550 and 1071 KTSA. I am Jack Riccardi, and welcome to our dreadful little program as it was once described. And uh, you can join the show at 210-599-5555. We talk about what's going on in the news and what's going on in our lives, and we have a JR poll question that you can vote in. Uh, and just like our elections, you can vote more than once. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, you can vote at KTSA.com. You can vote on our Facebook page. You can vote when you call into the show. 210-599-5555. For uh, several days... Former President Donald Trump was teasing a major announcement. And he has now made the announcement. I don't know if you've heard this or not. Now, we already know he's running for president. He's already announced that. And there were all these theories about what else he was going to announce and and what it had to do with the 2024 election. All of these ideas and theories and zigs and zags and political maneuvers and his big announcement was made on his Truth Social platform. And his big announcement was digital trading cards. Donald Trump is issuing digital trading cards, or what are sometimes called NFTs. And um, you, you buy them. They allegedly, supposedly appreciate in value. Uh, these uh, cards, I looked at a mock-up on one of them. Uh, he said, uh, my official Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here. These limited edition cards feature amazing art of my life and career. Collect all of your favorite Trump digital trading cards, very much like a baseball card, but hopefully much more exciting. $99 each. Well, that's nothing like a baseball card. I mean, when I was a kid and I collected baseball cards, you'd buy those packs that had like, I don't know, five or seven cards in them and then a stick of gum. And remember how the gum kind of tasted like the cards and the cards kind of smelled like the gum and it was almost like you could you could have just chewed one of the cards, it'd be about the same. But anyway, you got the gum and you got the cards and it was like, a, I think it was like 50 cents or 75 cents. It wasn't $99. Um, the mock-up that I looked at was a picture of... Um, like a superhero guy, ripped torso, you know, rippling with muscles and Trump's head on the body. I'm not kidding. That's what it looks like. So there's a theory about Donald Trump you've probably heard before that he never meant to be president, that when he ran in 2016, it was to um, get attention or raise money or or increase his... Um, notoriety, and that he was as surprised as anyone, goes this theory, when he defeated Hillary Clinton and became the 46th president of the United States. Or 45th president. I, I I don't believe that theory. Like, I think when he ran for president, 
I think he wanted to be president, um, and I think he thought he had a chance of being president. I think I can support that argument if I have to. I think I can. I think I can prove that that he knew and was and was serious about it in in 2016. But the theory now is that he doesn't really want to run for president again, a third time. But he feels like he has to. And and I've had people say this to me in different ways, but it usually comes across as he has to run because of the way they've come after him. He has to run to defend his record and what he's done. And he has to run because, uh, you know, of of the vendetta that is out to get him. And only by running and only by reclaiming the presidency can he clear his name and defend it. So th- th- that that theory is now kind of floating around. That's like a a companion theory to the he he never meant to be president theory. And so I want to ask you about this other theory. D- do you think that Trump wants to be president again, or is he running because he thinks he has to? Is he running because his ego tells him I, I can't let this upstart from Florida, you know? eclipse me or I, I I don't want to give up the rallies or I, I, I I'm, I'm at the head of this huge movement and I like that and 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 I enjoy that what do you think do you think he wants to go through all this again because when I look at a guy putting out trading cards of himself as a muscular superhero it just looks laughable it just looks unserious and goofy and this is the most obviously um you know profit-centered thing i've seen him do in the last five years i mean obviously he's a businessman he's done a lot of things and some of them have been successful and some of them have been have been failures i don't know if this one's going to be a success or a failure but it it just looks it just looks to me like i i just laughed when i saw it i mean there's no other way to take it and um he seems like a guy that doesn't know how to get off the stage um he did something incredible he did for politics if you will what elon musk is doing to twitter right now he pulled back the curtain there are people that will always be grateful and there are people that will always be furious because he did that but everything he has been doing in the last couple of years has looked pale in comparison it looks weak, it looks impotent, and this just looks laughable. I, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. And I know people are going to say, "You don't understand. It has to stay in the limelight." And this is how he's promoting his candidacy. But no, no, I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't work for me. But you can certainly try the argument. And that's what we're asking on the JR poll: two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Now that that Tucker Carlson guy on Fox News. You ever watch him? He's on right after us. Kind of makes you think sometimes. He did a whole commentary last night that's been rattling around inside my head. And he was talking about how um, the country has all of these real challenges and then all of these kind of put-up, contrived issues. Like he said, you know, look around the world. China is cozying up to Saudi Arabia. Russia and China are allying. Vladimir Putin is threatening to use nuclear weapons. People are are suffering 
uh, through inflation and shortages. We have an attempt to resurrect a pandemic, which we're now calling a tridemic, because it's flu season. And he said, um, with all of these serious challenges, Joe Biden had a drag queen gathering at the White House. And his point was, is the Biden presidency, you remember the movie The Matrix? Is the Biden presidency like a giant distraction? Is Do they keep picking out issues that are contrived, like... There is no threat to marriage. The Supreme Court has already ruled on gay marriage, interracial marriage. Marriage is fine. But because, he says, the people in charge of the country really don't know what to do about our real problems, they don't know about the, they they don't know how to respond to, to Putin and to China and to um, the collapse of the of the post-war world order or the American economy. So they're picking out things. They're saying, we're here to defend marriage. We're here to defend drag shows. And he says, maybe the Biden presidency is a giant distraction. They're tilting at the windmills they want to tilt at because they can't solve any of the actual problems we have. And these are not serious people. I mean, you know, you you, you look at the, the history that has taken place at the White House, Churchill and Roosevelt plotting uh, the war against the Axis powers, Lincoln uh, plotting to uh, reunite the Union and end slavery. And now we've got... Cindy Lauper and drag queens flouncing around in the White House. He even played a clip from Joe Biden himself back in 2006. This is Joe Biden on Meet the Press with the late, great Tim Russert. And Biden himself is saying sometimes politicians contrive a crisis rather than deal with the real ones. Listen to this. Cut number one. The president used his radio address uh, yesterday and tomorrow in the Rose Garden to talk about a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. You know, think about this. The world's going to Hades in a handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu. We don't have enough vaccines. We don't have enough police officers. And we're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? So in 2006, just 16 years ago, then-Senator Joe Biden recognized the game. And I think he's playing the game. I think we're playing the game. I think we are being force-fed distractions, fake civil rights movements that aren't the real one, that pale in comparison to the real one. 
that occurred in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. We're, we're contriving these scandals. We're defending the indefensible. But we're not talking about the stuff that around the world is actually moving the world and changing the world. The stuff that will be in the history books your great-grandchildren will consume, probably digitally. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. Then I saw this story. This was interesting. The mayor of New York City says they have now crossed the 30,000 threshold for illegal immigrants, thanks to the busing from Texas and Florida, and he wants $1 billion from the federal government in emergency funding from President Biden's administration. New York City needs a billion dollars yesterday because of the illegal immigrant problem. If, if New York City needs a billion dollars to deal with illegal immigrants, then we must have a crisis on the border. This is a Democratic mayor of a Democratic city calling on a Democratic administration and saying, we've got an emergency, we need help, I'm calling 911. But it's not a crisis and it's just fine and immigration is who we are and it's, uh, you know, we're a nation of immigrants. By the way, where's our billion dollars? Where's the billion dollars for Texas? Texas is taking in, we probably have 30,000 every couple of days. It's broken New York City. 30,000 people have broken New York City. But it's not a crisis. That's just something that haters talk about. 210-599-5555. All right, so um, let's talk about the distraction thing. Kind of a crazy theory or not, maybe? Have you ever thought about it that way? That there's so many things they tell us are important and vital and and threats to democracy, but we're not really dealing with any of the things that really are important in our lives or in the world. It's like the least serious group of people we've ever had in charge at the most serious time. And then also want to ask you about the Trump theory. Do you, do you do you believe or disbelieve the theory that at this point Donald Trump is a guy that is going through the motions but doesn't really want to run for president again? What are your thoughts about that? I I think you'll probably have some. Oh by gosh, by golly, it's time for mistletoe and holly, tasty pheasants, Christmas presents. Countryside's covered with snow Oh, by gosh, by jingle It's time for carols and KTSA, Jack here, late afternoon show On the JR poll, is it true or false that uh, Donald Trump doesn't want to run for president again but feels he has to? Uh, this is not my theory, necessarily. I didn't originate it or invent it, but I've heard a lot of people say it, write it. Uh, there was a great column by uh, Michael Walsh, who's a conservative commentator, and and, and somebody that uh, was very positive on Trump, uh, gives Trump a lot of credit in his presidency for the things he did with foreign policy uh, and with the economy, um, and, and laments the things that have been reversed and unwound by Joe Biden. But even even Michael Walsh, uh, whose column is entitled "A Man Who Could Have Been Great," says, "Look, it, it's 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 it started with a bang and it's ending with a whimper, and now we have this major announcement that he teased for several days, and it's that he's had 
trading cards made up, digital trading cards made up of, of himself as a superhero. Does this guy really want to be president? Or does he want to stay in the arena because he knows that if he isn't in the arena, they'll be talking about him, they'll be attacking him, they'll be disparaging him. And there are people that can leave a room, there are people that can walk out of a room where they're being talked about, and there are people who can't. There are people who say, I know they're, I know they're gossiping, or I know my, you know my ears are burning, but I don't care. And there are people that can't handle that. And... Um, I mean, I can only guess. I don't know him. But to me, it looks like, and, and this is, this is further evidence of it. This looks like somebody to me that doesn't know how to, how to leave the stage. There is an obvious person to inherit the movement and embody the issues. That person is, um, off to a very good start in his still young political career. He just won a 19 point landslide in the formerly swing state of Florida. He was the only Republican in the country with shirt tails, meaning he helped get other Republicans elected in his state in the midterms. I mean, this is this is where you hand the baton to Ron DeSantis. And he's not doing it. In fact, he's he's mocking and ridiculing Ron DeSantis. You think he wants this? Do you think he wants to go through all this? What, and 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 do you ever think about like I, I I'm not rich. I've never been anywhere near it. But when I imagine the life of someone like Donald Trump, I it seems like a much better life to enjoy. He's he's going to be seventy eight. Enjoy your grandchildren. Enjoy your golf. Enjoy your travel. Enjoy your friends. Reflect on the fact that you're part of American history. You did something that is almost without precedent. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't add up for me, no matter how you slice it and dice it, that he really still wants to be in this arena, go through all this again. And by the way, there's no, absolutely no guarantee that he would get the nomination or, or that he would win the election. I mean, you have to be able to step back from how you feel about him to understand that he's not the, he's not going to be um, viewed or or handled the same way. You know, he reminds me a little bit in sports when you're a rookie quarterback or you're a rookie pitcher. In your first year, every batter, every opposing lineman is seeing you for the first time. And they don't know what they don't know. And you can look better than you really are, or you can have success beyond your, your skill set because you're a surprise to them. But then in the second year, and there's th- this is a pattern you see all the time in sports, that sophomore slump, that second year for a rookie quarterback, that second year for a pitcher in baseball, or that second time he faces the, the team that he faced two months ago. Now they know your, your moves. Now they know your repertoire. So Trump 2024 will not be and cannot be Trump 2016 because they have a whole playbook on him now. And by they, I mean everybody. I mean other Republicans, the media, the Democratic Party. 
Do you think he wants to do this? I mean, he's announced he's doing it. It was kind of a tepid announcement. It didn't exactly generate a ripple of electricity across the land. I mean, I I get that he's doing it. Do you think he wants to do it? Do Do you buy the theory, and it is just a theory, that that he's running out of a sense that he's got to clear his name, defend himself, that he he can't stand the people that tried to do him in and he's not going to let them stay out there while he goes away. They haven't left the battlefield. Why should he? What do you think? What is your read on that? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos On KTSA Everybody knows Imagine just 10 days from now some got a lot of nice uh, we get a lot of nice emails and comments about the sounds of the season that we play on the show and I appreciate that thank you we enjoy playing them for you we're uh, and sometimes people will tell me that a particular song you know brings back a memory or evokes a certain memory from their childhood like every time I hear that song I remember this or that um, if you have a favorite Christmas song um and a quick story that you want to tell about it uh do me a favor when you get a chance maybe when you get home uh record yourself on the voice memo or voice recording function of your phone and just email that to me jack at ktsa.com include your your first name and your city or town and we'll play your song uh next week along with your intro to it so if you have a favorite uh, and kind of a neat story or something that it reminds you of or why you love it, uh, why it means a lot to you. Uh, little, make a little voice recording with your phone. Email it to me, jack at ktsa.com. And we'll be, uh, ending each night's show next week with one of those. So, um, I keep hearing about, and it always happens after a midterm, the party that wins starts talking a big game. So I keep hearing the Republicans, promising they're making a lot of promises let's put it that way they're going to go after fauci and they're going to find out where covid started and they're going to investigate hunter biden's laptop and they're going to investigate um you know the the meetings between twitter and the biden doj and the tech companies in collusion with the government and and what have you uh in a letter yesterday to the big tech CEOs, all the big companies, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio is going to be the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, accused the companies of being the woke speech police of the Biden administration and says big tech is out to get conservatives and you better conserve and preserve all your documents and communications because we're going to call you in. We want to see everything. We're going to grill you. We're going we're gonna to look into this collusion issue, is what Jordan says, and the Republicans are saying. And here's my response to that. Oh, really? Oh, really? And then what? 
So first I'm supposed to believe that the Republicans are going to actually keep this promise. And then if I do believe that, let's say I do believe that, this time's going to be different. They're going to do it. They're going to have the hearings. What, what happens then? I mean, we already know that the tech companies cooperated with the government. We already know that, as I said yesterday, the government would paint the target, and then the tech companies would take out the target. We know that thanks to the Elon Musk purchase of Twitter. Was that legal or illegal? Well, the the left is going to say it was legal. Because these are private companies. The First Amendment doesn't apply. By the way, this is one of the oddities of our time that the left is defending the rights of private enterprise. This is a new, a new wrinkle we didn't expect to see. But okay. So they're going to say it was fine. That's, if that's what we did, that was fine. What actually can the Republican Congress do? If they have these hearings and they call these people in and they get more of what we've already found out about Twitter or we find out that it's been happening in these other uh, tech companies, is there is there a criminal charge? I don't think there is. And who would have to bring it? Oh, guess what? That would be the Department of Justice. I mean, what are the odds that the Republicans keep this promise expose this evidence, bring this evidence to the relevant authorities who are actually in, you know, involved in the collusion, and then those people turn on their own and bring some sort of charges under Section 241 of the Federal Communications Act or whatever it is. I mean, where is this all going? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not minimizing this issue. We've talked a lot about it on the show. That tells you that I, I think it's important. But I, I don't think you can solve it until you can bring it to a law enforcement agency that isn't involved in it, that isn't part of it. You can't go to a corrupt police department and report corruption, right? Doesn't work. Could, could even could even could even be dangerous. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. You know what's interesting about the Elon Musk thing and just sort of the way this has played out. I'm so old. I remember when free speech was the property, pretty much, of the left. They were the ones that would always say, "We're defending everybody's right to say everything." You've got to let everybody say everything. You've got to tolerate stuff you don't agree with. You've got to hold your nose and let the Nazis march through Skokie, Illinois. There was a time when that was their thing. The ACLU, right? I mean, when I, when I was younger, every week the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, was, was defending some weirdo, some stinkeroo of a person or a, or a viewpoint. Because, well, this is America, you know, they have the right to say it. And as we talked about yesterday, they would also argue in, 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 in giving people that latitude and recognizing that they have that right, you're also exposing them. Like, see how ridiculous they are, see how wrong they are, see how nobody agrees with them. 
And now free speech has become a right-wing thing to the point where when Elon Musk says we're going to have free speech on Twitter, the left's response to that is, well, that's a danger to democracy. And that seems very weird to me. And I don't think people have quite sorted themselves out on this. There was a, a letter that was written by a handful of leading Democrats to China demanding free speech for Chinese citizens, demanding that the Chinese government let these protesters speak and be heard. Isn't it weird that the people that are not wanting you to be heard on Twitter are calling for Chinese people to be heard in their streets and on their platforms. And, of course, a cynic might say, well, they can do that because it's probably not going to happen. But it's a weird look, right, to see people championing the, the, the notion of free speech, recognizing it's a beautiful thing, it's a powerful thing, except here. Except here. I mean... I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but if you think it's a good thing, it should be a good thing everywhere, for everybody, or not at all. What do you think? 210-599-5555. Remember all the weird stuff that came out of New Zealand uh, during COVID? All the, all, they had a very, very draconian zero-COVID policy. They had those camps. Um, I mean, it was just way overkill on COVID. They just passed a, a law in their parliament this week about cigarette smoking. Now, w- we have in this country a minimum age for you to buy cigarettes, right? And I guess many countries have that. They took it a step further in New Zealand. In New Zealand, anyone born after December thirty first, 2008 cannot buy cigarettes ever. <laughs> so that little sign in the corner store that says if you're birth if you're born after such and such a date, the the obviously the implication of that is once you get older, you can you can buy your cigarettes. In New Zealand, if you were born after December thirty first, two thousand and eight, you you can never buy them. So in the year 2040, no matter how old you are, you will not be able to buy them. In the year 2100, you will not be able to buy them. I guess by then, no living New Zealander will be able to buy them. We talked, I think, a week or two ago, we asked the question about, was prohibition in America a mistake? Because I think we had just passed the anniversary of the either the passage of prohibition or the repeal of prohibition in this country, prohibition against alcohol. But but one of the things a lot of you said when we were talking about that was, well, prohibition was a mistake. No matter how you might personally feel about people drinking alcohol, prohibition was a mistake because it simply drove the activity into the arms of criminals and the black market and the back alley, and it, it made something that had been lightly regulated completely unregulated. Don't you think that Whatever the intention of this New Zealand law is, the effect of it will be a black market. And then what always happens after a black market is government has to get more muscular and violent to fight the black market. So in our country, 
Prohibition was the first time there had ever been running gun battles in the streets of American cities between federal law enforcement agents and people that had bathtub gin or were smuggling in whiskey from Canada or what have you. In other words, in our, in our history to that point, Americans had not seen anything like that except, of course, the Civil War. It creates a need for government to get muscular, to get violent, and to get bigger when you prohi- when you try to completely prohibit uh, a substance like tobacco or alcohol. And so New Zealand is saying, you're banned forever if your birthday came after December 31st, 2008. One a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than you could ever know. Make my wish come. Antonio's News Talk Station 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Jack Riccardi throwing out the questions, just hurling them out there. They're like, this is, what is it with this guy? I just want to drive home. He's just peppering me with, uh, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you But hey, if you feel like jumping in, 210-599-5555. Think of me as like, you know, I'm not a backseat driver. I'm like a backseat inquirer you know i'm not like i'm not looking at land saying well, well, well why are you going this way why didn't you take the freeway why are you doing it this way why don't you go why don't you turn over there why do you why don't you take the second left and said i don't do that right i'm easy to have in the car just just have a few questions you can ignore them see if, if i was in the car with you it would be awkward to ignore, but because i'm just coming through the speaker you can ignore me see that works right so a woman in phoenix um Went to her local school board meeting. Many a story has started that way this year. And uh, her name is Lindsey Graham, not uh, not to be confused with the insipid senator from South Carolina. This Lindsey Graham is a woman who hosts a Patriot Barbie podcast. She went to her um, school board meeting dressed as a cat, completely in a cat costume, as if she was in the Broadway musical Cats. And it was to make a point. And here she is making that point. Cut number two. I am a cat. Meow, meow. I'm not a woman dressed as a cat. I am a cat. By show of hands, I'm curious, uh, how many of you believe and confess that I'm a cat? Great. I am, by show of hands, I'm curious, how many of you believe that your child or a child from this school would believe that I'm actually a cat? No one. You are right. Truth prevails over imagination. Reality exists. Discernment is innate and something we are biologically wired to have. One look at me, and you know this to be true. I am a woman posing as a cat. Mm. I have to tell you, the funniest part of that video is um, while she's at the podium, 
there are these two dudes behind her, and they cannot stop staring at her rear end. They are locked on. You would think the winning Powerball ticket numbers were printed on her fanny because they cannot, and it's in full view of the camera because the, at these meetings the camera is, you know, fixed on the, the, the guest speaker microphone or platform or whatever it is. So they're just in that shot. And I kept thinking while I was looking at it, boy, they've got some splaining to do when they get home. A couple of guys fixated on the cat outfit. Anyway, she's right. I mean, there is something beyond respecting other people. There's, there's something beyond looking at somebody we don't know and going, well, I don't, I don't really understand what that person's about, but that's okay. More power to them or God bless them or God love them or, you know, bless your heart. Bless your heart is what we say down south. God love them is what we say up north. Meaning, I don't know, but okay, whatever. There's something beyond that where we're asked not just to tolerate, but to buy into. So it's the difference between I can walk past something I don't understand and no, I have to stop and affirm it. And what, we, what we're doing right now is we're living in a time, to use her example, where if someone dresses as a cat, you're supposed to say, okay, you're a cat. I believe you're a cat. I respect your cat. I'll use cat pronouns. You're a cat. You're as much a cat as my cat. Maybe more so. That's crazy. That's far removed from, hey, I won't hassle you. I won't bother you. I won't interfere with your cat fantasy. You know, there's always been people with fetishes. There's always been people with private lives. There's always been people that dress up at home or whatever. And and we're okay with that. We're not looking to police that. But we have taken that and people's respect for, hey, I'm a live and let live person, to the point where now you have to, okay, you're a cat. I respect that you're a cat. And that's how you get a deputy assistant secretary of energy ripping off other people's luggage at the airport in dresses and and lipstick. That's how a person as weird and twisted as Sam Brinton gets that job in the first place. Because we're not just sort of like, oh, okay, whatever. We're, We're saying, oh, I totally accept and believe. And... I think that's, we were talking last night about what is this the year of. Maybe that's one of the things that this is the year of. They're in the classroom. They're in politics. They're in media. And I'm not asking for a repressive culture or a puritanical culture, because I don't think we want that. But maybe the standard should be live and let live, but that's a two-way street. So you do your, you do you. I'm going to be over here doing me. But don't make me accept, uh, affirm, genuflect to whatever it is you're you're doing. Could we agree on that? Um, a lot of stuff to talk about here in the news today, and that's what we do. We talk about what's happening in our world, what's happening in our lives. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five on the JR poll. 
Do you believe the theory that Donald Trump's only running for president because he feels like he has to versus wants to be president again? Kick that around a little bit. Uh, a lot in the news today about illegal immigration. Uh, the numbers are surging along the, uh, particularly along the, the sectors here in Texas. And to put it in perspective, um, we are basically seeing every two or three days in Texas alone the illegal crossings equivalent to the number of illegal immigrants that are now in New York City and have so broken the social services, you know, infrastructure of the biggest city in the country that that number, the 30,000 in New York, has the mayor of New York declaring an emergency and demanding a billion dollars in emergency relief from the federal government. So Eric Adams is is asking for, like, hurricane money. Like, you know, Cat 5 hurricane emergency FEMA need it right now money. 30000 We're getting that in Texas every couple of days. Every couple of days. And I wish I could say we're peaking, but we're not peaking because we know that in a matter of days, the Biden administration is set to lift or allow the expiration of the Title 42 public health order. The Title 42 public, and by the way, every time I hear Title 42, all I can think of because I'm a child of the 80s is Level 42. <laughs> I can't get around that. But when when Title 42 expires, that that's really the only guardrail that's left and that was a health order that was in some small way slowing down the um, admission of people to this country so um here's my question you you don't need me to tell you it's a crisis but why is it suddenly acknowledged as one now why would democrats now be demanding that the president do something and we have uh, Cuellar demanding that the president come to the border and Eric Adams demanding a billion dollars and Gavin Newsom, the Democratic governor of California, suddenly making videos about, well, this is breaking our state. You know, what? what's, what's the game here? Because you guys were um, denying this, mocking and ridiculing people that were saying pretty much the same things not very long ago. And if those immigrants in New York are a crisis in New York, why aren't they a crisis when they're here? Question we've asked about 20,000 times on this show. What do you think is going on that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's okay, it's not xenophobic or bigoted or, or hateful to talk about it as a crisis, an immigrant crisis, an illegal alien crisis? What is going on with that? I have a couple of thoughts. I want to hear yours. 210-599-5555. To the extent that it's a crisis, it's a manufactured crisis. As we talked about yesterday, it's not like it's not like if you really wanted to, you couldn't control entry into this country. You and I come across every day the heavy hand of government. We know when they put their mind to it, they can be downright oppressive and ubiquitous. And there's there's no such thing as a shortage of money or we don't have the funds. I mean, for crying out loud, they literally print it. 
So basically what we have up to this point is a, a staged crisis. Oh my, we're doing the best we can, ha ha ha. So you first have to ask yourself, well, why did they let that happen? And then then you can answer the question, and why are they now calling it a problem and at least making noises about doing something, still not doing it, but making noises about it? Why, why is suddenly fencing okay? Remember the hue and cry about Trump's wall? Remember AOC going down there and sobbing? Next to a fence around a, um, you know, a, a, one of the uh, temporary uh, housing facilities. And now they're putting fencing in. Now they're saying, yeah, we're going to do some fencing. Fences aren't the answer two years ago. Now, yeah, we're, we're going to put some fences up. So we're going to talk about that. 210 599 5555. And what's going on with this? Uh, Title 42. Have you seen the um, TikTok video of the nurses? If you've seen it, you already know what I'm talking about. This has been a big, big viral thing the last several days. Um, These were uh, nurses that worked at the Emory University hospital system. And they had made videos. There was something called the hashtag Ick Challenge, I-C-K. And they had made TikToks discussing their icks, meaning stuff they find gross and nasty about their patients. And their patients are pregnant women because these are labor and delivery nurses. And so they made, I mean, this is the major hospital system in the Atlanta area. It would be like Methodist or Baptist here. So they made these videos. And I mean, it's... it. They're clearly recognizable. Everybody can look at the video and know who these people are. And they're bitching about their jobs. I mean, and everybody in every job complains about the boss or the conditions or the hours or management is stupid. I mean, that's a ubiquitous universal thing that we all do to blow off a little steam at work. But what's created a problem is they've gone public and in so doing not only outed themselves, but insulted uh, their patients. And people have been ripping them. It's unprofessional. It's cruel. Um, you know, these are, these, are, these are women having babies. And it raises a bigger question, for me at least, because we keep, we keep seeing people do things like this. The libs of TikTok videos with the teachers is another example. You kind of have to ask yourself, when did people start thinking it was a good idea to declare publicly what we used to just kind of complain or gripe about privately? I mean, how do you go from like, you know, whispering it to your coworker at the next cubicle to, you know what I need to do? I need to put this on the internet. Everybody needs to know about these damn labor patients. How does that happen? Snowing and blowing a bushels of fun. Now the jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle if you, bell, um, dancing and 
If you have kind of a favorite Christmas song or one that always evokes memories of childhood or a favorite Christmas or something cool like that, um, I'd love to hear that story, and we would love to play that on the air. Just email me, jack at ktsa.com, uh, a voice recording. You can use the voice memo or voice recording feature on your phone. Just like a 30 to 60 second little, hey, my, you know, this is my first name, this is uh, my town. Uh, this is, you know, my favorite Christmas song is such and such, and here's why, or here's the story behind it. And we'll play that next week. Um, also next week will be our countdown to the worst Christmas song of all time. That'll be on Wednesday in our six o'clock hour. But yeah, shoot me a little, uh, exactly. But sh- <laughs> shoot me now. Shoot me a, uh, an email, jack at ktsa.com and make yourself like a little, like a little disc jockey intro, uh, for your favorite Christmas song. We'll play some of those next week. All right, so for, I don't know, the last two, three, four years, right, if you if you pointed to the border and said that's a crisis, that's an invasion, that's a problem, that's overwhelming our, our border communities, that's endangering our country, you hater, you bigot, you xenophobe, you racist. And now all of a sudden, almost as if a switch was flipped, Democrats are as loud as Republicans in calling on Biden to do something about Title 42, or if you prefer, Level 42. And why is that? Did they just get smart all of a sudden? Did they start caring again? No, no, I don't think so. I'll tell you what I think. I think, and you know this part already, that the Democratic Party has has gotten all the value out of Joe Biden they can get. They've, they've gotten what they needed. He was the Trojan horse that they, uh, rode through the gates back into power, uh, you know, using in 2020. And from, from that moment on, his value has been diminishing. And, and of course his capabilities and his, his, you know, cognitive skills are diminishing. And they know this. They're getting ready to move on from Joe Biden. The way they're going to move on, this is, this is just what I think. The way they're going to move on from Joe Biden is the Democrats are going to run against their own record on the border. They're going to offer themselves up in 2024 as the saviors, as the ones that can fix it. They're going to count on you forgetting that they made this problem and defended it and said it wasn't a crisis, because you have a short memory. I don't mean you personally, but, you know, the, the collective, all of you, use, use, use guys. People have a short memory. You can probably fool enough people if you run against Joe Biden and the Democratic Party in 2024 on a platform of, hey, I want to do this right, I want to be compassionate, but we've got to get tough on the border. I mean, Biden can't pivot on this. He owns it. And if the Republicans try to do anything about it, well, they're haters and white racists. So it takes a Democrat. And guess who's available and who happens to come from a border state and who happens to want to be president? Gavin Newsom. Oh, but Jack, you say, he announced he's not running in 2024. Uh, Yes, I know. Wouldn't be the first time a politician 
flip-flopped. I, I don't know that it has to be him, but he would be the logical guy to execute this little pirouette. You, all you have to do is count on people to be so overwhelmed by the immediacy of the emergency that they they don't take into account or they forget or they don't notice who created the emergency. And they'll say things like, well, this Trump broke our immigration system. And then we inherited it and it was broken. Or Republicans controlled Congress and they didn't do it. See? So I think this is how they, this is why all of a sudden the word has gone, gone out. Everybody's got the, the talking points. Got to talk about level 42, title 42. <laughs> got to, got to talk about the border. Got to start referencing it. It's just too, it's too coincidental. Like too many people all at once in the last 72 hours are talking about it who never talked about it. And it went from being something you weren't supposed to mention unless you were a white supremacist to something that limousine liberals are talking about, Chuck Schumer's talking about. So that's what I think they're doing. 210-599-5555. Tell me what you think. Um, I know there's a lot of moving parts to that theory, but it's the thing that makes the most sense to me. Now, about the nurses from Emory Hospital. We are really, um, we're going through something that I don't think we'll understand until many, many years from now. But there was a famous saying many, many years ago. It's been attributed to Andy Warhol, but he didn't actually say it first. That in the future, everyone will have their 15 minutes of fame. And whoever first said it probably could not have envisioned how that would happen because this was way before the digital revolution, the Internet, etc. But what we're living through now is a time in which everyone can be famous. Everyone can be everywhere. And we're just not wired for that. We're just not ready for that. I'm not trying to speak down to you. I mean, I'm not ready for it either. Most of us are not built for a narcissistic, instant gratification culture where all we have to do is press a button and we are universal. And not only is that possible, but we encourage it. In other words, and you got to admit, I know, I know you're going to say, well, Jack, I'm not like that. And I know you're not, but you got to admit, when you post something on your socials, you do like being liked. You do like the clicks. You do like people giving you the thumbs up or the emoji or whatever it is, right? So what we have is a kind of, um, I don't know, an ecosystem or a, a, a culture that now we don't seem to have any boundaries for. And I think that's how you get, these are probably not bad people. I mean, I, they really look awful. These nurses look just awful. And people are hating them. But as I thought about it, I thought, this is probably how they talk to each other. 
This is probably how they get through the shift or the night or, or the, whatever their shift is. And, and, and if I'm going to be honest in my job, and if you're going to be honest in your job, we've bitched about bosses and managers and owners and what have you and, and customers sometimes, right? But we did it on the QT. We did it with other coworkers. It was never meant to go any further and it didn't go any further. And I think what's happened now is there's a way and a really easy way to go further. And and so now there's this kind of performative aspect to complaining about your job. The Internet, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, is full of people. I mean, Starbucks baristas complaining about the peop- the way people order drinks and servers in restaurants and, I mean, w- why not nurses? I-, I know it's different, and it should be. You, you you don't have to tell me that, but I mean, it really is just one more step. It would have probably been unthinkable at one time for something like this to go public or be public. But remember, nurses, young nurses today, have grown up in a world where this um, digital revolution had already happened. I mean, there's something to be said for people, you know, whether you're a baby boomer or a Gen Xer like I am, there's something to be said for being able to remember when this stuff didn't exist because it means you also remember how we used to act. But when you're under a certain age, this stuff's always been around. This capability has always been around. And I think that's what happened. I I don't know these nurses, but it wouldn't surprise me if we were to find out that in their actual lives, they're probably very good at what they do or compassionate. They might very well be. I know everybody's making them out to be monsters. But I think what's happened really more than anything is it's it's happened to them. And it's this culture, it's this narcissism, it's this everybody's getting their 15 minutes and they're getting it right away. And it's, it's 15 seconds instead of 15 minutes, but same thing. It's the most wonderful time of the with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer it's the most wonderful time of the year there's a man who could rock a turtleneck sweater right andy williams i just read today the turtleneck sweaters are coming back for men so 210 just thought i'd pass that along 210 599 5555 on KTSA. Uh, they fired the nurses from the Emory University Hospital System in Atlanta after they made TikTok videos uh, participating in something called the Hashtag Ick Challenge. How does something like this happen? Uh, and what do you think about it? 210-599-5555. Laurie is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to hear they fired those nurses. The thing is, those people are in your care, and that's a big HIPAA violation. I don't care if you're a young nurse or not. When you got that license, you got to be compassionate, and you mm-hmm. got to know the law. That's against the law. So I, I, I'm, you're right about all that. But how would something? How would you even get to the point? where you would be doing something like this? Because I'm sure that forever in a day, Lori, nurses privately or with one another have, you know, talked about patients or complained about 
this, that, or the other. And we all do it with our jobs. How does it get to the point where they're putting it on TikTok? Well, the key word there was privacy. You can do it with your coworkers. That I mean, that's fine, but you don't go taking pictures. I don't know how it got this far, unless you just want to be popular. And any profession can do that. But now we're in the nursing profession. Right. Any profession can do that. Not nursing, that's crazy. It's just so inconsiderate. I mean, I, I don't get it. I really don't. Well, I mean, it it is. It's inconsiderate, and, and they're... they're their firings are are completely justifiable. Thank you, Lori. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I don't think they should have been fired. I'm just curious, like whoever their bosses are had to fire them, but that's not my problem. My question is, how, how do people get to the point where they think this is a good idea? Or this is okay. And you know how in your life sometimes you get a, a, a crazy idea or a crazy hair up your butt or whatever, but then there's always like someone that goes, hey, whoa, wait a minute, you might not want to do that, or are you sure you want to say that, or are you sure you Here they are, apparently no one in their little orbit is telling them, whoa, 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 you can't put that up on the Internet. You can't make a TikTok about your patience. I'm trying to understand that. Now let's let's look at what we've done with the nursing profession the last few years. We had COVID come along in 2020, and all of a sudden they weren't nurses, they were heroes. We started calling our health care frontline first responders heroes. We were putting posters up. We were apl- people were were giving standing ovations in the street to EMTs and, and, and nurses walking into hospitals. We were, businesses were tripping over themselves to offer discounts. And I know because I have friends that are nurses. They would laugh about it. They'd say, you know, I've been a nurse for X number of years. All of a sudden, I can get a free coffee on Tuesdays and discount on this. And where, where has it been all these years? But, but, but we built them up. And we called them heroes. Now, you can't do that without it having an effect on people's egos. I'm not saying that's why this happened. I'm just pointing out that's a, that's part of the, you know, that's part of the weather system around these people. And so you've got that going on. You've got that message being conveyed. We've got the, instantaneous nature of this, you know, digital culture that we live in. You know, your parents or grandparents, if they had a grievance, they had to write a letter to somebody. <laughs> you, you, can, you can issue your grievance to the world five seconds after you think of it using any of a number of platforms that are totally free. So we have this culture that makes it easier, tells people uh, to act on their feelings, encourages narcissism. And so even though they're in a profession, like Lori pointed out, that is governed by rules and privacy and, and, and ethical standards, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think there's something that, that has blown that all away, and that's this 
this culture of narcissism that we're living in now. And so what I'd like to know is, are you going to start training and teaching people so that when they learn their trade or their profession, they also learn about this stuff and the pitfalls of it? I have a letter here from uh, Jennifer. I found these young nurses to be immature and unprofessional. I graduated in 2007, which doesn't seem that long ago, but is, she writes. I'm not saying that. She writes, I feel like patients are scared, they're in pain, they're at their worst. They may be on meds and having painful procedures. Their families may be fearful as well. I think as an RN, my job is to make them well, feel safe, earn their trust, give them grace, and to understand that they are not at their best when they are sick. I am embarrassed for these young nurses, actually. I mean, am I crazy to think that maybe you have to actually sit people down in the course of training them to be nurses? and have a a class or a lesson in social media do's and don'ts? Because, again, they look on the Internet, and everybody is on the Internet complaining about their customers and complaining about their job. You and I can see that it's a far cry for a Starbucks barista to complain about his customer than it is for a nurse to complain about her patient, but maybe to them it's not such a far cry. Do you remember, we had the story, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was during COVID. Do you remember, Don, there was a story about nurses dancing, performing dances to express how they felt about COVID and taking care of COVID patients? It was was like a performance art thing. I have to think that we've, we've effed with people's, pardon my language, we've kind of effed with people's psyches. These last two years, we've, we've detuned their normal instincts. I don't just mean nurses. You know, we're, we're still unpacking how much we've broken the norms of everyday life and society and just basic right and wrong stuff. So I'm not making excuses for them. And yeah, they, they richly earned their terminations, but man, I, I think we have bigger problems than just these four. These are just the four that got caught. Said the night went to the little land Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the a tail as big as a kite With a tail as big as a kite We'll kick off the weekend with a dish in our 6 o'clock hour tomorrow on KTSA. 210-599-5555. So the uh, nurses have been fired. There were four of them that made Ick Challenge TikTok videos at Emory University Hospital System in Atlanta. In the videos, they uh, shared their icks about being labor and delivery nurses. And the hospital fired them for what it called um, disrespectful and unprofessional conduct. And I don't think anybody's going to debate that. But how do we get to this point? Where, I mean, where, it, just, you, it would have been unthinkable. People wouldn't have thought to do it. Not to mention they wouldn't have had the means to do it. 
210-599-5555. And Jerry is on KTSA. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Jack. You know, we talked about, you talked about a few minutes ago about them being treated like heroes. I wonder somehow this is like doctors thinking that they're God, that somehow these nurses felt that they could do this with some sort of impunity, that nobody was going to do anything. We've talked about in years, you know, the lack of common sense. I wonder now in this profession or in this particular locale, like you said, in orbit, where it, they've lost that sense of caring, really, you know, and it's caring is not just a physical activity and doing that. It's like the other callers were saying, there's a people purple people aspect of this where you take care of people in doing this. And that's the other element of this caring. You know, you talk about the bedside manner. These have somehow lost it. And I, and I, and while they have done this themselves, we see evidence, I think, of this in other areas. But I think these nurses need to break this culture or that hospital needs to break that culture. And at least by that manager, there needs to be some retraining. Yeah. I mean, maybe you have to start saying the stuff that you thought people just knew. Yep. It, it, you uh, know, where, where did we lose this ability to realize or have this humanity or humility when, when we talk about this and, and you believe that you have such impunity to be able to do this with such disregard for people? It's mm-hmm. like they fired them for exactly what they were, unprofessional and uncaring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, thank you. Good points, all of them. Uh, 210-599-5555. I always use the example of, because I'm a big Seinfeld fan, there was the episode uh, where where um, George, remember George could never keep a job, and he got a job, and he was finally starting to turn his life around, and he had sex with the, the cleaning lady at the office on the desk, and he got caught having done that. And his defense, and I'm paraphrasing, was that they had never actually, when they hired him, told him that you weren't supposed to do that. And the the, the humor of it is, you're watching that and you're going, who would not know? How can you claim that because that was not specifically forbidden, there wasn't a specific rule, you thought that was okay? I didn't know. But I, I actually think we may be living through times where George Costanza's defense is actually food for thought. Like, because, because of the way the culture's changed, when you're training, to use the example, nurses, you probably have to actually tell them. Now, you can't, no matter how fed up you are, no matter how high maintenance a patient is or their family is and most nurses will tell you by the way that the the families are often more work than the patient maybe you got to tell them maybe you got to have a tiktok lesson <laughs> or a social me- because because remember you and i know this is wrong but we also come from a time before this was possible and if you are of the age group that you know for whom social media is organic and has been always there, then the instincts are not the same. The view of it is not the same. And I don't know how much, you you know, TikTok you watch, but I mean, there there are no societal boundaries. There's no privacy. There's no limits. There's no decency. There's no discretion. There's no, let's not talk about that in mixed company. There's none of that. Anything goes.
So that's the world they're living in. Yeah, they deserve to be fired, but you got to look at this problem more deeply than just those four. So last night after the show, I was all set. I uh, had looked forward to this uh, college basketball game between UCLA and Maryland. I love college basketball. And I tune in. Did you see the game? You're gonna, you, you probably know what I'm going to say. It's supposed to be a really good game because these are two well-matched teams, and it was a blowout. I mean, it was a total blowout. And I will continue to watch a sporting event that has become a blowout or a one-sided affair sometimes because the other thing I love about sports, besides sports, is I'm a real like connoisseur of, or I don't know what you'd call it, I just, I'm fascinated by sports play-by-play. Like the craft of calling basketball games and football games. I have my dream job and I'm not complaining. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I've been able to do what I love doing for 37 years. I love it. But if I was to come back in another life, boy, would I love to be a sports play-by-play guy. I just, that is so cool. And it's, it's challenging and it's multifaceted. And I admire people who are good at it. And I have my, my likes and my, preferences and so uh, the column i wrote today for ktsa.com is entitled who are the best in the booth and i list my 15 favorite and this is completely subjective i mean you know obviously everybody has their opinions but these are my favorite 15 sports play-by-play or color commentator uh people so game callers not 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 necessarily sports talk show hosts or panelists on shows or pregame or any of that. Just the, the, the guys in the booth and gals. And I've got my top 15. You can check that out at KTSA.com. Tell me if you are a sports fan or a fan of this. Uh, who, who, are, who is your favorite game caller? Do you have a favorite sports play-by-play game caller? We're talking national and obviously current, not Howard Cosell or Keith Jackson. We could... We could certainly make an all-time list, but I'm talking about people that are doing it today. And you can see my faves, again, at KTSA.com. Talk about that a little bit coming up. 210-599-5555. You know how we were talking about all of a sudden um, it was like a, a switch was flipped or a memo went out and Democrats are squawking about the crisis at the border and Title 42. There's another phenomenon like that going on. All of a sudden, there are a lot of news stories about Elon Musk's U.S. citizenship status. Apparently, there is an allegation that Elon Musk lied on his application for U.S. citizenship. And... The hope among his detractors is that if he did, he could be stripped of his U.S. citizenship and deported. And there are people, blue-check liberal journalists, who are rooting for and cheering on the effort to see if Elon Musk can be deported back to Africa. Now, What's funny about this, first of all, it appears to be a talking point that was sent out or activated because it's a little too coincidental that all of a sudden, like in the same 24 to 48 hour period, a bunch of seemingly unconnected, unaffiliated people 
are all barking up the same tree. But the other thing about this that's interesting is um, this is a new take on immigration from liberals. I thought they were against deportation. I, th- I thought they I thought they wanted to end deportation. I thought they didn't want immigration laws to be weaponized. I didn't know that they were the ones who would gleefully persecute and cheer on the deportation of an immigrant. You know, the first immigrant they found that they hated was Melania Trump. That was the first one. I guess Elon Musk is going to be the second one. Remember the whole, uh, they were like John Lennon, right? Imagine there's no countries, no borders, no nations, no deportation. Oh, wait a minute. Let's deport Elon Musk. Remember the people, and they still have the yard signs? There are no illegal people. Except Elon Musk. And by the way, we don't know that he's illegal. That's just a a rumor that he lied on his uh, paperwork. So We're going to solve the immigration problem by deporting one illegal immigrant. That'll do it. 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. They released a very small snippet of body cam footage, video, from the San Francisco police showing up at the Pelosi house um, on the night of, or the, the day of, the attack on Paul Pelosi. The attorneys for the defendant uh, showed the clip of the moment police are arriving in response to the intrusion at the Pelosi mansion. The footage allegedly showed David DePep or DePape attacking Pelosi with a hammer um, as police arrived at the scene. And there is um, apparently, I haven't seen it, I've only heard descriptions of it, but apparently there's a struggle. Both men have their hand on the hammer they are told to drop the hammer by one of the police officers. Uh, DePape says, nope. And then there's a struggle, and he hits Pelosi with the hammer, according to KRON television. Um, in the meantime, the son of the attacker uh, gave an interview. He has a uh, 19-year-old son named Sky Gonzalez. And he gave an interview with the Daily Mail. And he does not see his father as an ultra-mega right-wing maniac who was targeting Nancy Pelosi uh, because uh, he was on a mission for MAGA. Um, He says, by the way, that his father had a very screwed-up childhood, was uh, abused by his parents, was bullied in school, um, that his father was mentally ill. Um, He says, my father had progressive views. He believed in human rights. He was against war. He was a peace activist. He was hardly the right-wing conservative as he's been branded. You know, I, I don't need to make this about Politics. I just think there's a lot of crazy people and weird people in California. Well, there's a lot of crazy and weird people, period. 
There's a lot of them in California. And I think if we had allowed this story to emerge, the likely conclusion most of us would have drawn is that either this guy was a weirdo or possibly that he had been let into the house. But because of the cover story that was immediately established and not questioned at all by journalists except one, and that guy was suspended from his network for a month with no explanation, it's possible we'll never really know what happened. I mean, this isn't, this shouldn't be like a JFK assassination level conspiracy, but it, it has the makings of one because of all the obfuscation and all the, the, you know, sort of, I guess you could say, narrative establishing that went on around it. I mean, it was so necessary right away to make this uh, like a Jesse Smollett-type story. And, of course, the funny thing about that is we had just come through the Jesse Smollett case, and apparently no one in the media learned anything from that. Next week, we're going to let you uh, tell us what is your favorite song of the season, and we'll play it at the end of our show. Uh, just send me a voice recording or voice memo from your phone. Record yourself with your first name and your city or town and which song it is and why it's your favorite. Send that to me, and we'll play it back on the air next week. It's jack at ktsa.com. And some people have misunderstood, and they're sending me YouTube clips of the song. We have the songs. We've got the song. We're a radio station. We got the songs. I, but what you need to do is record yourself introing the song. So jack at ktsa.com. 210-599-5555. All right. Um, on the uh, column I wrote for uh, ktsa.com, um, I said, who is the best in the booth when it comes to sports play-by-play? I want your picks. And I gave mine. 210-599-5555. Jim is on the radio. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jack. Hey, you didn't get the memo about resurrecting the Pelosi story, did you? <laughs> I don't listen, Jim. The story, the story of my life is I never get the memo. That's what it's going to say on my. That's what it's going to say on my tombstone. He never got the memo. Yeah, exactly. So that was good. I know that's not uh, what I was going to talk about, but I just thought it was great you brought it up because it died so fast a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm glad you're there bringing this stuff up that should be brought up. So, uh, sportscasters, sports broadcasters, um, Tony Romo's top on my list. I like him a lot. He's on yours. He has really, he has made that, he has reinvented that job. I mean, I think, I think he has set a new standard for former players in the booth, diagramming plays, explaining it to the, there's nobody better at it right now. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And him being a, a former player, it just makes it great. I, I really do. I, used to, I, I wasn't a happy Cowboy fan with him as quarterback. Man, I'm, I'm uh, really – I love listening to him. And, uh, and you got some other good ones on there, too. I, Chris Fowler, Beth Mullins, uh, absolutely. Jim Nance, all, all top. Those are great. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, yeah, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned Tony Romo because he's been, a, he's been yeah. a nice surprise. I mean, I was like you. I was not a huge fan of his, of his uh, career on the field, and I didn't know what he would be right. like in the, in the booth, but he's been phenomenal. Yeah. He's been great. Yeah, Whatever they're paying them, it's sure not have. enough. No, I Thank agree. you, Jim. I appreciate it. Good call. Um, yeah, you can have you can find my list at ktsa.com. My favorite guy, uh, which I know is not going to be everybody's favorite, but there, there's a guy on Fox named Gus Johnson 
who does mostly football, some basketball, um, and he is the most energetic, enthusiastic, fun to watch and listen to, uh, in my view, person on sports television. He's just he's a delight. I, I it, it is if I have a choice between you know this game, this game, this game, or that game, I'm going to watch the one Gus Johnson's doing. He's that good and um, really enjoy his work. I'm really liking uh, the new lead football guy on Fox, Kevin Burkhardt. You know, they had a a shakeup on Fox when Joe Buck went to ESPN for Monday Night Football, and this guy, Kevin Burkhardt, was kind of in the back ranks. They elevated him. He does their game of the week, their late game on Sunday. Um, I had not seen a lot of him before that, and... If you have not seen Kevin Burkhart yet, I think he might be like the future of sports play-by-play because he's not that, hey, everybody, welcome to the game, you know, that kind of gimmicky, over-the-top, you know, that kind of announcery. is a very conversational delivery, a very very casual, easy to listen to, um, just, just really a pleasure at what he does, Kevin Burkhart on Fox. Another guy I like because I watch a lot of college football is Tim Brando. Now, Tim Brando, when he does a college game, they always pair him up with a former, a great former football player named Spencer Tillman. And it turns out that Brando and Tillman are, are very good friends, probably best friends. So when they're on together, it's like listening to two guys that clearly are best friends and you feel like you are hanging with them. And it's a nice, like, vibe to catch a game in the afternoon on Saturday with Tim Brando and and Spencer Tillman. So those are those are some of the ones on my list. Tell me who's your favorite. Again, we're talking about sports play-by-play, national sports play-by-play, 210-599-5555. Don, let's do that. Um, I want to do that song comparison thing real quick. Can you get those ready? So one of the Christmas songs that we play on KTSA coming out of uh, breaks is a song by Gwen Stefani, called You Make It Feel Like Christmas. It's a huge hit. She put out a Christmas album a few years ago, and this is the the big hit off that album. Every time I hear this song, when I hear the opening notes, it sounds just like another song. And for weeks, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what it sounds like. Here are the opening notes to Gwen Stefani, You Make It Feel Like Christmas, cut number five. Okay. You heard that, right? Now, listen to this song intro, cut number four. What the Don Cooper, am I, I know my I know my hearing is shot. Are those not very, very close? I never thought about it until you pointed it out today. I, this I mean, is the don't first time I've ever, if I'm those, wrong, if no, I'm wrong, tell me I'm not. wrong. I, I they seem like they're very close. It's it's the same beat. Let's try it again. Hold on. Do it second. again. Cut number 5. And here's cut. Okay, that's four. the Gwen Stefani song. Now here's the Phil Collins song. Exactly. Like the first like six or seven mm-hmm. seconds, it sounds it sounds the same to me. I'm not I'm not knocking either one of them. 
They're both great songs. I'm, I don't for a minute believe that anybody stole it from Phil Collins. It's a, you know, the, the, they become very different songs and they're totally different rhythms and everything else once they get established. But just like those first six seconds. The only, the only difference is, is that, um, the Phil Collins song has, has maybe a lower tempo. Yeah. A little slower. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, you know what I think? And I, and I can't prove this. And I have no musical talent or background whatsoever. Um, but I've talked to people in the music business, and they've, they've kind of agreed with me. I would suspect that when you are a songwriter or composer of music, that you hear music. You're hearing it. It's, it, it's rattling around in your head because it does for us, and we're not composers or songwriters. It probably just kind of comes out sometimes without you even knowing it. I mean, I would think it would be very hard when you are sitting down to write what you believe is an original piece, to not unconsciously or, and I, again, I'm not talking about intending it or, or stealing from anyone. So it must be very hard not to unconsciously repeat a little snippet or bit of rhythm or arrangement that you've heard before. I mean, there's, there's a finite number of possibilities anyway, right? There's only so many different ways to arrange the notes, but I, I just, I would think that would be a, a kind of a risk or the thing that would happen, you know, no matter what. Oh, wait a minute. Brent's going to make it more complicated now. You know what, Don? I'm going to take his call. Maybe you can find that song real quick while I, I'm looking for it now. <laughs> while I talk to him, Brent, you, now you heard those two. You're saying you, you think there may be another song that sounds like that too. Yeah. Holland Oats. Uh, man eater. That's pretty close as well, I believe. Oh man, you're right. And man eater would have been closer to the time that the Phil Collins song came out. I mean, those are just a couple of years apart. Right. So man eater by and also also uh, not off topic a little bit. Rush Limbaugh's intro song is from Chrissy Hines, one of Chrissy Hines in the Pretender yes. song. Yeah, well, it actually is the for, it actually is the Chrissy yeah it actually is the Chrissy Hines yeah. song. It's not not from it. It actually is it. But okay, uh, let, let me see if we can find let me see if we can find Maneater real quick here. This is the intro to the Daryl Hall and John Oates. A little bit, not as close though as um, those other two, right? <laughs> Would you say, no, Don? Not at all. Different tempo. Little little slower tempo, but yeah, but definitely definitely um, because in the ballpark. Had, there's that. Slight chord change, so it change yeah. it changes. Uh, oh, look at you! Oh, look look at that! Look at you with your little terminology there. <laughs> I like that. So, anyway, Cooper showing his showing his back. <laughs> I'm not trying to make trouble. By the way, I like all these artists and I like all these songs. So I hope that they're all there's room for all of them. We love them all. Who's the best in the booth? Who's your favorite sports play-by-play -play announcer or color commentator? I've got my top 15 list at KTSA.com. You can check that out and agree, disagree. Uh, Rick says Al Michaels. Norma says Joe Davis and Tony Romo. Uh, Paul says Al Michaels. Uh, another Paul says, um, Where's Jim Nance on your list? He is on my list. He's down at number 13. I, I, I didn't, I'm not making any apologies. I mean, I know there's people, I know there's, there's names that are not on this list that will seem like startling omissions, but I'm just telling you who I like, you know, and just because they're the most famous or the, the most watched or whatever doesn't necessarily make them my favorites. So that's same with you. You can, you can have your favorites. Uh, but I've always thought that was a, um, 
there's a real art to calling sports live sports uh, on television or radio, and there's a way of doing it with an economy of words where you're you're sometimes describing, and other times you're just shutting up and letting the 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 sound or the picture tell the story. And the, some of the some of the best at this really know when not to say anything at all. So I guess that would be like you know the equivalent in in music, right? Of the space between the notes, right? So. 210-599-5555. We can talk about that. Speaking of uh, songs, if you have a favorite Christmas song, Christmas carol, uh, hymn, holiday song that has special meaning for you, um, and I hear from people all the time that are enjoying the selection we're playing, uh, but if there's one that you really have a special feeling for, um, I'd love to hear that story. Uh, record yourself using your smartphone telling that story, name the song, give us your first name and city or town you're in, and just, you know, 30 to 60 seconds, this is what it reminds me of, or this is the memory it brings back, or this is why I love hearing this song at this time of year. We'll, we'll play it back next week. Uh, we're going to do some of those at the end of each night's uh, show next week. The National Archives has uh, issued, I think it's 13,000 more documents related to the JFK assassination. And this seems to be an almost endless trove of of documents. Like, I I don't know how many the total is, but we keep getting these massive, um, whatever you'd call it, declassifications or releases. Now, I will tell you, this... This is not breaking any new ground. There is no bombshell, smoking gun, whatever, uh, in this. But for the last several years, uh, periodically they've released these. Both Presidents Trump and Biden have directed uh, the release of records. Um, there was a law passed in 1992 that said all the records had to be released in 25 years. Of course, you do the math, we're way past that. One of the more interesting things about the documents that come out, again, they're very anodyne, there's nothing in there that that gives us a new theory or a new insight, but one of the interesting things is that there continue to be two kinds of conspiracy theories about JFK, right? The one everybody, or the kind of theory everybody's heard or heard of is that it was not Oswald, that someone other than Lee Harvey Oswald shot and killed President Kennedy in November 1963 in Dallas. And those theories run the gamut, right? It was our own government. It was somebody in politics. It was the mafia. It was LBJ. It was oil interests. It was it was Russia. It was Cuba. But then there's another kind of conspiracy theory, that I also find very intriguing and relevant to the times we're living in today. And the other kind of conspiracy theory is that it was Lee Harvey Oswald, but we have not been told the truth about Lee Harvey Oswald. So the version of Oswald that came out in the Warren Commission report, that was reported on almost immediately, that has been promulgated over the years is that he was this sort of deranged 
uh, weird uh, guy with some radical uh, ideas and ideologies. He came out of the, you know, the Marines, defected to the Soviet Union, came back, and sort of was acting in a way that only made sense to him. But over the years, people have said, well, all right, you can have Oswald as the shooter and still have a conspiracy. Because a lot of, even the official version of Oswald as the shooter doesn't really make sense. I'll give you an example. This guy defects to the Soviet Union, a Marine sniper, the height of the Cold War, defects to the Soviet Union, marries a Russian woman, and then almost immediately comes back. And people who studied this have said, you know, that's not the pattern. That's not what they would do. They would not let somebody like him leave the country and undefect or undo their defection. That's the last thing they would do. So there's questions about his movement prior to the shooting, his time in Mexico City, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think there's, so I think there's two ways to think about conspiracy theories with Kennedy. And certainly there's a lot of credible ones that say Oswald wasn't even the shooter or wasn't the center of it. But there's also ones that say, yeah, he was, but who was pulling the strings? You know, like, wh- how was this laid out or set up, um, for him to do? Um, I don't do it so much anymore. Many, many years ago, we would frequently, especially around the time of the anniversary, we would have um, authors and researchers on the show uh, who had written books or, or come up with uh, what they felt were, were, were credible alternative explanations. Um, I got very into it. I was, I've read a lot of these books. I've, I've found it very interesting. I'm not saying I've settled on a particular theory. I don't have one of my own. But there was one um, author... Um, I'll never, I'll, I'll, this one will always stay with me because it's so gruesome and specific. Uh, but there's an author, he wrote a book called The Best Evidence. And, um, I can't think of his name now, but the book was The Best Evidence. The premise of his theory is that the way the conspiracy was carried out was that the president's wounds were altered after the assassination. Because a lot of times when they try to knock down the grassy knoll theory or other things, they point to the wounds. They say, well, the, 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 the forensic evidence doesn't support your alternate theory. So this guy came along and he said, well, you could have an alternate shooter, an alternate scenario, if you alter the wounds. And, and, and I had never thought of it that way before, but if the body in a murder investigation, if the body is the best evidence, so-called, then what it shows, that body, the wounds on that body, are like a finger pointing at someone's guilt. If you change the wounds, you change the direction in which the finger is pointing. And, and again, this is all conjecture. He uh, claims to have found, 
discrepancies between the description of the wounds in the emergency room in Dallas with the way they appeared and were described and photographed at Bethesda when the president was autopsied uh, at Bethesda that night. So his theory is that somewhere between Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Air Force One, and the body arriving at Bethesda, somebody changed the wounds. Could you do that? I don't know. Would you have the ability to change them in exactly the right way? Could you fool the myriad people who you would have to fool? Or were they not fooled? Were they warned? Because that's the other thing. You know, you, you have to presume in any explanation of the Kennedy assassination that everybody involved is trying to get the story right. But as we've learned countless times over the years and even in current day, um, not everybody in government is playing it straight. A lot of people have agendas. And people that are sworn to do a particular thing and have a particular skill set are apt to do any number of things in the name of an ideology, in the name of a of a belief system. So I always I always think about the Kennedy assassination conspiracy theories. Partly it's because of the bizarre nature of his assassination. Part of it is also because we forget how controversial a president Kennedy was. Kennedy probably made as many enemies and created as much paranoia as any president we've ever had. And so the the potential list of people who might, might have participated in a conspiracy is pretty long. That was not a run-of-the-mill time in our country, in our history, so just saying. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and great versions of Oh Holy Night. If you got a favorite, make sure you let me know. Um, Record yourself introing it, telling me why you love it so much, and send that voicemail or voice recording to jack at ktsa.com. We might play it next week uh, at this point at the end of each night's show. Jack at ktsa.com. Use your voice recorder or voice memo function uh, on your phone to make a quick recording. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute. What what else happens mm, next week? Mm, well, I believe there's some breaking news in that regard. About the, about the worst Christmas song of all time. You know, as soon as we announced that, that we were going to do it next Wednesday, I started getting emails from people. Uh, could you just, could you just uh, send it to me? I'm like, no, that's the whole point. <laughs> I'm going to milk this son of a gun for all it's worth. I'm just going to send it to you. 
Besides, that would be irresponsible. I, I don't feel I should disseminate something like that. You know what I mean? We gently, carefully take it out, play it once a year, put it back in, protect the rest of the world from it. I, I feel like I feel like it's our responsibility. It's like we're handling spent uranium rods, you know, that's it's a sensitive thing. On the JR poll, we asked you, um, true or false, Trump doesn't really want to be president, feels he has to run. 65% found that to be false. 35% found that to be true. We'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow. We'll have the dish tomorrow, talk restaurants in our 6 o'clock hour. I'm going to leave you here tonight with this beautiful recording of a choral group made up of NATO nation service members, men and women who serve in the armed forces of the NATO countries. And their Christmas greeting to you. I'll see you back here live at 4 tomorrow or anytime on demand at KTSA.com. Ding dong, ding dong, that is the song, great travel ring, all caroling.